David was victorious over a lion, a bear, a giant, and even the Philistines. And yet, after the Lord anointed him through Samuel to be the future king of Israel, Saul relentlessly pursued him for many years. Nevertheless, God protected David from any misstep that would have prevented him from becoming king. And one might wonder why God allowed David to go through so many hardships after he had anointed him to be the king of Israel. And perhaps it's because God often puts those whom he is going to use greatly through the furnace of refinement to prepare them for the work that he has called them to. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. I titled this message today, as I've already noted, Instructions, Plans, and Exhortations. We find Paul summing up all of his thoughts in the final chapter of this letter. I broke it into five parts. He begins in verses 1 through 4 concerning collections. In verses 5 through 9, a great and effective door. Verses 10 through 12, faithful servants of Christ. 13 through 18, final instructions. And then final greetings, 19 through 22. I'm going to go ahead and read our first point. Concerning collections, verses 1 through 4, and then I'll open us in prayer. Ask for God to bless the teaching of his word today. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper that there will be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. And so, Father, I pray that you would just be with us, Lord. We have five main sections in this last chapter. Each section, Lord, teaches a little bit of the importance of how it is to walk as Christians. Our first section talking about helping others in need. And so, Father, I just pray that you would help us to heed your word today. And Lord, help us to apply it to our lives, those things which the Spirit is teaching to the church. To this church, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, he he commands the church to lay up, to store up, 
in verses 1 and 2, on the first day of the week, to prepare for an offering that was being collected that would be delivered to Jerusalem because of the great need that was there. We do know from the book of Acts back in chapter 11, verse 28, that the Spirit revealed to the prophet Agabus, saying that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now, at that time, uh, the church in Antioch took up an offering for the brothers and sisters in Judea, and the gift was actually brought by Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem at that time. Now, this is many years later. Paul and Barnabas hadn't even set out on their first missionary journey at that point, but now Paul is at the conclusion of the third missionary journey. But it seems that the need is still very great there in Judea, and Paul is gathering an offering from the churches there in the region of Galatia and also there in the region of Corinth, and bringing an offering, desiring to bring an offering to the church itself. This is actually a standard that was set in Scripture that continues to this day, that people know that Churches are there to help in times of need. Now, toward the end of his third missionary journey, Paul is determined to bring this gift from the Gentile churches to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. In Acts 24, 17, we actually read of it where he says, he's actually telling about the gift at this point, saying, now after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nations. So he actually was able to accomplish this gift that he set out to bring from the churches to Jerusalem. And here he's reminding the church in Corinth of their obligation. Perhaps they had already previously determined to give the gift. Now he's just reminding them that I'm coming and it'd be good if the offering was already gathered together that we wouldn't have to deal with it when I arrive. So whether they had set an amount to be collected or just trusted that they would receive what was needed, Paul counseled them to set aside funds each week. Actually, he said the first day of the week. He said on Sunday, set aside the funds that there would be no need to gather an offering when I come. And notice they were to store up as each one prospered. In other words, as one had determined to do within the means that God had supplied to them or in keeping with their income. I've tried to be very careful as a pastor for several years, uh, pastoring here for 21 years now, but to not make a huge issue on giving and offerings. Although I, I believe that we are to give a portion of our income for the work of the ministry, and that we together are to do this. I have a great belief in this. I, Lily and I, we practice it. We've been practicing that since uh, the first week that we got married. It has just been something that we brought into our marriage. And it continues to this day. And it's been 41 plus years since, right? <laughs> Make sure I get that date right. Saying it out loud. But uh, I got the plus in there, so I know it's at least 41. I didn't come up here to do math this morning. 
Paul would write later on in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8, obviously not finished with this issue with the church of Corinth. He said, so let each one of you give as he purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And so the Lord counsels us to give. We're not to give grudgingly or of necessity. And that's one thing that I've tried not to do is to use pressure in receiving offerings. In fact, (laughs) this year in 2020, when church life has probably been the most difficult, uh, we've kind of even eased up and we don't, we haven't taken an offering in the sense of passing bags in a while. We've have an agape box in the back and people know what they ought to do. And so we kind of just leave it at that. In fact, without Kevin doing the announcements as we were accustomed to, often I forget to pray over the offering, but I am so thankful for the gifts that have come in to this fellowship, for the work that the Lord has allowed us to do, for giving us this property, the grounds, a building that was in great need of great repair, always needs repair, but it was really bad when the church became a Calvary Chapel over 26 years ago, and God has allowed us to continue to worship here to uh, support the work of this ministry and ministries of others. And so he says in verses 3 through 4, I titled this section, Letters and a Wonderful Gift, When I come, whomever you approve, by your letters, I will send to bear gifts to Jerusalem, but if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So in all organizations, it's important to maintain financial accountability. Even with the 12, we, we know, according to John's gospel, that the 12 disciples, they had picked a poor treasurer because Judas, the one who betrayed Christ, John tells us he was also a thief in John 12, 6. But here Paul encourages the church of Corinth to appoint those that they would send to Jerusalem by letters. And this is the way they uh, did things back then. They would come with the letters of introduction. Uh, They couldn't get an email, a phone call. And perhaps the fastest way to get a letter to another town was to send it with the messenger themselves. And it would be the approval of the church that was sending the people there that they were held accountable for the work that they had been given. And Paul even said, if it's fitting, they'll go with me, which is precisely what took place. Titus actually was one that went along with Paul, as we learn in 2 Corinthians 8, 19 and 20, saying not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by the glory of the Lord himself, to show you your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So there in Second Corinthians 8, Paul talked about this lavish gift. So it was a great offering of some size, it appears. And Titus was one that was named, no doubt with letters, to travel along with them, but that God would be glorified. 
And Paul touches on two important things when writing about this offering. First, the importance of the accountability of the work of ministry. And second, the call for each believer to do their part. Concerning the importance of accountability, one of the famous codes of conduct that we have in the religious realm here in the United States, we can date back to the ministry of Billy Graham when in 1948 in a hotel room in Modesto, California, it's known now as the Modesto Manifesto. I've many times heard it summarized as this in three points, don't touch the money, don't touch the women, and don't touch the glory. And regarding each believer doing their part, Jesus taught, well, he taught me a valuable lesson in regards to this. Uh, many years ago, there was a season in my life when I was unemployed for 10 months and, uh, you know, went through the unemployment line and ran out of unemployment, had to go re-sign up for it again. Thankfully, was able to get an extension on the unemployment because the economy was doing so poorly at that time. There were many who were unemployed, kind of similar to what we see happening today. But it was at this time that our church in Libertyville that we were attending decided that they were going to take up a missions offering. They set a goal of $25,000. And on that Sunday, they had uh, pledge cards that they asked every member to fill out. Now, it's something that we have never done here. I've never handed out a pledge card, but I tell you that that pledge card taught me a great lesson in faith. One of the reasons we don't hand out the pledge cards because I don't want it to be grudgingly or of necessity, but I was looking at the card and the card basically said, put your name down. I'm summarizing it. I can't even remember the words of it any longer but it wanted an amount each week can you give toward offerings. We have a goal of $25,000. How much are you going to help in filling this goal? Now, I've been on unemployment for 10 months, and so they're asking me to give money, which we didn't have a lot at that time. And so I looked at it, and in my head I thought, well, five bucks a week. We could handle five bucks a week. And then I thought, nope. And I wrote down, I'll give you a half a percent of whatever I make this coming year. And so we were, even with the 10 months of unemployment, whatever money came in, 10% went to the church. But now I said, Lord, a half percent more is yours. And that year the Lord gave me the, uh, it was financially the best year that I'd had to date in my life, financially. In fact, uh, that I think $5 a week worked out to like $10 a week. And Lily and I, at the end of the year, we looked at that. Of course, she was in agreement with this. And we looked at it and said, the Lord really blessed us this year. Let's, let's up the tithe again. And so we upped it another half percent. And then we did another percent. Then we did, at a point, we were up to 13%. 10 went to the church. 3% went to whatever we deemed the Lord would have us uh, send that money to it could be to missions it could be that we just held the money in an account and a friend had a need and we'd we'd help him out we'd send a check and uh, the Lord taught us a great gift in that way then we moved out to California in order that I could attend the school of ministry at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa and our income got cut by half and so then we reverted back to a 10 percent tithe and we discovered that it was people who was helping us. 
we went to California and uh, our income got cut in half. We owned a house, we sold the house, but our house payment versus the rent that we were paying in California was tripled. It was like more income. I know it's expensive out there, still is to this day. And uh, the Lord brought us through. And sometimes it was just uh, a surprise in how he brought us through. Sometimes the need was great and a check would show up in our mail that we did not solicit, but God provided. And so it took the Lord about seven years to teach me a valuable lesson that, uh, you know, when we're able, as we're able, as the Lord prospers us, even perhaps when we don't feel like we're being prospered, but we take a step of faith, like me signing that pledge card saying a half a percent of whatever you give, to me, uh, half a percent of that will go to missions. And the Lord will teach us whether we abound or abased, is what Paul said. We learn to be content in every season of our lives. And so my question, are we setting aside funds for the work of the Lord? I think it's a very important thing for believers to do for the work of the church. We move on in verses 5 through 9, a great and effective door. The context tells us, now, I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. But it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So Paul lays out his plan to visit Corinth and he planned to pass through Macedonia. He said, I'm going to pass through Macedonia, and I am passing through Macedonia. This is my plan. He repeated it, kind of double emphasis there. But when he had passed through Macedonia, he would visit the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica, Berea, no doubt. And this is what he accomplished. As we read from Acts 19, 21 and 22, it tells us that when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit that he'd pass through Macedonia and Acacia, that he would go to Jerusalem. So he did accomplish this plan that he's laying out to the Corinthians here. According to the book of Acts, the Lord did permit Paul to winter there in Corinth after an uproar in Ephesus, according to Acts 20, verses 1 through 3. After that uproar, Ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, departed to Macedonia. When he had gone over the region and encouraging the churches there, he came to Greece. There in Greece, the region of Greece would have been Athens and Corinth. And he stayed there three months. And then the Jews plotted against him. And he sailed to Syria and decided to return through Macedonia. So his plans got changed but he was able to accomplish this portion of the plan itself. We need to realize that we are in all, all of us are in God's hands. It does not mean, though, that we are not to plan for our lives nor plan for our ministry. Back on March 1st, we gathered together with our leadership after our Sunday morning potluck in the first of the month. What's that? Yeah, we haven't been doing them since March 1st. Well, we planned with the church leadership and the things that we are going to set out to do this summer, such as a Memorial Day parade, didn't happen. 
The parade itself didn't happen. Vacation Bible School didn't happen. July picnic, we squeezed in a, a cookout, but not, not the picnic that we were planning. Uh, family camp, accomplished. So much of what we had planned didn't happen. We also didn't even talk about uh, doing live services on WLGS. It's happening. To have live services through Facebook Live, it's happening now. That wasn't even in our thought process. But necessity caused us to do these things. Do you realize that since March 16th, the day that President Trump came out and said 15 days to slow the spread? It's been a while since that announcement came forth. And yet we find that Jesus has opened doors that we did not even anticipate, I believe, great and effective doors that truly are only beginning to open for us through the radio station. We've just went a step further in that ministry through videotaping our messages. We've went a little farther in ministry, and it's been a blessing. So we make plans and we commit them to the Lord. As James said in James 4.15, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that, if the Lord wills. And that's what Paul is saying here. He also talks about this great and effective door that's open in verses 8 and 9 there in Ephesus. He says, I'm going to remain until Pentecost because there are great things happening in this city right now. It tells us in Acts 19.20 that the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed there in Ephesus itself. He actually stayed for two years ministering the word of God until Demetrius and the silversmiths not a 1960s rock band, but Demetrius and the silversmiths gathered together and they caused a riot to come against Paul and his ministry team there. The riot was so severe that they actually set Paul. Paul wanted to go confront them. And the church itself said, Paul, you better stay away from this one. They were concerned for his very life. This is something that's important for us to understand. When the Lord opens a great and effective door of ministry in our lives, so too comes great trials that attempt to close these doors. As a young man, David was victorious over a lion, a bear, a giant, and even the Philistines. And yet, after the Lord anointed him through Samuel to be the future king of Israel, Saul relentlessly pursued him for many years. Nevertheless, God protected David from any misstep that would have prevented him from becoming king. And one might wonder why God allowed David to go through so many hardships after he had anointed him to be the king of Israel. And perhaps it's because God often puts those whom he is going to use greatly through the furnace of refinement to prepare them for the work that he has called them to. Colossians 4, verses 2 and 3 says, Continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying for us also that God would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. Paul, writing to the church of Colossae, they're saying, pray that God would open a door of ministry for us, that we could preach the mystery of Christ, Oh, by the way, I'm in jail right now because of the ministry. 
He's still praying that God would open a door and he's sitting in a prison somewhere. Revelation 3, 7, we learn of the Lord opening a door. He said there to the church of Philadelphia, he who is, has the key of David who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. And may it be that we would be praying, Lord, open a great door of ministry for us, an effective door of ministry for us. Are we praying for that, for this fellowship, for our own lives as believers? We thank you so much, Lord, for the word that you have taught us today. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people willing to walk in obedience to your word. Lord, I pray that you would touch our lives in such a way that we could touch the lives of others with the work of ministry and the work that you've called us to, Lord. A lot, Lord, has been talked about in this last chapter, so much so that I'm trying to even rehearse it in my own mind. I pray, Lord, for each of us, perhaps it's one thing that stood out that we could build upon for this coming week. Lord, let us think about that one thing, perhaps, that you, you pricked our heart about. Maybe not everything, maybe it was too much, but maybe there's one thing, Lord, that you would like to teach us this week. Help us to heed that one thing. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.